Welcome to You Shall Receive Power. I'm Etienne McClintock, and with me in the studio is my co-host Colin Hone. Colin, welcome. It's great to be here, Etienne. Great. Lovely to have you here. And Colin is the International Director and Speaker for Holy Spirit Ministries. He also has distribution rights. He's the international distributor for the book 50 Days, Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return by Pastor Dennis Smith. Now, our current series is based on the daily devotionals that you'll find in this book. And as we start our program, please join us as we pray. Our Father in heaven, it's always our privilege just to pause for a moment wherever we are and whatever we're doing, just to invite your presence with us. We dedicate today's program to you. We pray that you will guide us in our thoughts through your Holy Spirit, not only for the presence of your Spirit, Father, but also for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're listening to You Shall Receive Power. It is the basis of our program found in Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, Colin, what's today's topic all about? So today's topic is about spirit-filled Christians. So we're going to talk about spirit-filled Christians that make a church spirit-filled. To have a spirit-filled church, yeah, we need to have a spirit-filled Christians. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Wouldn't it be wonderful the church is spirit-filled? Because obviously the spirit brings all those attributes and virtues of Christ, which is love, joy, and peace. Just think of everybody loving each other, looking out for each other. That would be a wonderful church to belong to. we just got to make sure we're not the discordant note in the church like that. <laughs> well, what we want to do is we want to be like the Acts chapter 1 and 2 church, mm. the book of Acts church. And they were, they were spirit-filled Christians, therefore their church was spirit-filled. Yes. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at, you know, consider just what a spirit-filled church is not. So we know what it's not, and we're going to look at what it actually is. Important to have that understanding, yes, definitely. So when we look in the book of Revelations, chapter mm. 3, verse 14 to 16, so we're going to go to the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, where... It describes God's last day church. As we know, the, the book of Revelations, going through the different churches, mm. also describes different time periods throughout Absolutely, the, uh, yeah, yes. throughout the uh, early uh, ages of Christianity, mm. starting right from um, the book of Acts and the early church right through to the God's last day church. Yes. And so we're most, on the last church, the seventh church there. That's right. And most scholars believe that Revelation chapter 3 describes God's last day church. Mm. And we believe we're living in the last days. So he's describing the church in the last days. Okay. So that we believe we live in the last days, like you're saying. So that must apply to us then. That's right. As God's people. That's right. Now, he yeah. uses the word lukewarm to describe her. Oh. In Revelation okay. chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. Mm. It says in verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. Mm. So lukewarm... And spirit-filled are not compatible. Yes, it can't be. Hot can be compatible, but lukewarm can't be. A believer is either one or the other. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I, uh, I go to the gym occasionally, 
Okay. And, and uh, I don't even like going to the gym, to be honest. <laughs> okay. right? I don't like it. I, I grew you up do it because it's good for you. And that's I do it because I know it's good for me. But what I love doing at the end of the gym is I love to go and have a sauna. Mm. And I sit in the sauna and, you know, you sweat out all the stuff out of you, sweating and getting hot. Mm. And then you go out and have a cold shower and then go back and have into the sauna where it's hot. Yes. So it's hot and cold. cold. Yes. Now, after I finished with that, I feel alive. Invigorated. Invigorated. Yeah. Mm. Even if I'm tired from the day and I've worked out at, you know, in a gym session, I actually feel invigorated from doing that hot and cold mm. is good for you. Yes. And even in Laodicea is a town or a city, Laodicea, it received its water from uh, above, about five miles from this water, from the river that would come. But it was all hot springs. Right. Okay, and it was so known for its, was hot. it was therapeutic. Yeah. Mm. So people used to go to the hot springs for for uh, healing and therapeutic reasons. But by the time the water got down into the city in Laodicea, the actual town, yes. it was lukewarm. Uh, okay. And have you ever drank lukewarm water? Yeah, not nice. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, a hot like drink it. is nice. Yeah. A cold drink is nice. But a lukewarm drink, what do you do with it when you drink something lukewarm normally? Yeah, you normally spit it out. You spew it out or you <laughs> spit it out, as the Bible says. That's right. And so lukewarm and spirit-filled are just not compatible. Mm. You see, a believer is either one or the other. Hence, the conclusion is clear. Holy Spirit infilling is what will change lukewarm believers into zealous, obedient, spirit-empowered, and directed followers of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So when we um, observe what happened in the early church in the book of Acts, and we compare that to the Christian church today, you know, we look at the book of Acts and that church back then, and we compare it to the church today, we can see there's a contrast there's a definite contrast. We quite often think it started with a with a flurry, and then we sort of have a lull, and then it will end with a flurry. But the fact is that flurry was supposed to remain all the way through until the latter rain. We dis- discussed that in previous previous studies. So, yeah, there's something has happened. Something's gone wrong, but it doesn't mean we have to stay in that condition, does it? No, right. So, you know, I'm forced to admit that I, you know, I think the majority of the Christian church is not spirit-filled today. Mm. I'm also to, to admit, as a seven-day Adventist, that the seven-day Venice church is not spirit-filled, the majority are not spirit-filled as were in the days of the book of Acts. Yes, yes. But the good thing is, is there's hope for us. Absolutely, And as we yes. unpack this, this, uh, this chapter here in Revelations, we will see that there's hope and there's an answer as well. Mm. Okay, that will be very interesting, Colin. Now, does that mean that God is not using the church to carry on his work? No. Mm. God is still using his church. Yes, but it simply means there's so much more that God could accomplish through us if we're spirit-filled as he desires to be. Mm. You know, so we're going to unpack uh, Revelation. So let's keep on reading Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. In verse, from verse 17? Yeah, let's keep reading it. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor Blind and naked I counsel of you to buy from me gold Refined in the fire That you may be rich And white garments That you may be clothed That the shame of your nakedness May not be revealed And anoint your eyes with eyeself That you may see As many as I love I rebuke and chasten Therefore be zealous and repent Behold I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. So some reading the text is clear mm. why this warning is so important to heed. You know, those who ignore it will be spewed out of God's mouth, mm. meaning they'll be not ready for Christ's return and be eternally lost. This is because those in Laodicea do not know their true condition before God. That's right, the problem, right. Laodicea. They don't know their true condition. They think they're spiritually rich, living in a saving relationship with God. However, they do not realize they're actually wretched, miserable, poor, and sinners devoid of spiritual riches. Mm. They're blind to the condition. So they actually not insincere. They're just not aware. Yeah, they think they're a condition. So they're not hypocritical necessarily. It's not like they know and they're ignoring it. So they genuinely don't know what their true condition is. Yeah, they're blind to this condition and God's will. Yeah. That's why he says you need the eye self mm. so they can see clearly your true condition. So, you know, in God's sight, it says they are naked, standing in their own self-righteousness, wow. ignorant of Christ's righteousness. Mm. There's the problem there. Yes. Is it? standing in their own self-righteousness, ignorant of Christ's righteousness. And the solution, the only solution, and that's the great thing about God, he tells us, he's straight out with us. He tells us, this is your problem. Yes. The hardest part for us is to admit it, that we have a problem. Well, that will be the first step really towards a, a solution, I'd imagine, is acknowledging the problem. Acknowledging the problem. But what yeah. stops us from acknowledging the problem is our pride. Mm. We think we're okay. Hey, I'm okay. Don't tell me I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but God is, you know, God mm. just tells the truth and he says, look, you've got a problem. You know, you're blind, wretched, poor, miserable. And then he tells us the secret to coming out. He says the secret is, he says, let me in. He's saying, Jesus is saying, because it's Jesus who is speaking. Yes, yes. He's the true and faithful witness. Mm. He's saying, let me in, in Revelation 3.20. Yes. Which indicates Christ is not in the lives of those in Laodicea if he's saying, let me in. Well, if Christ is in, in this last day church here, why would he say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. So really, if Christ is inside the church, he doesn't have to knock, he's in already. But the fact that he's saying, I'm standing outside and knocking and waiting for you to open, surely has some significance in regards to our understanding of how much we are spirit-filled and how much of Christ is in us. It seems to indicate that they only have a profession of faith, like a form of godliness, mm -hmm. but not genuine faith and godliness as found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 5, right? which is genuine faith and godliness. Mm -hmm. And it's because God loves them and loves us yes. that he gives a serious warning in Revelations 3.19 that he's going to spew us out. But thankfully, God not only gives the warning, but also presents the solution to Laodicea's spiritually void condition by counsel him to buy from him which means to buy from him, which means to give oneself one hundred percent to God. Mm. And what is it we are to buy from gold? It says we are to buy from God. We are to surrender ourselves one hundred percent to God and receive the I salve, which is the Spirit. I salve right, of the okay. Spirit. Yes, yes. Which refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because it's through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Christ lives in us and through us. Mm. 
Well, that iSelf is obviously to enable sight because, I mean, you only put uh, iSelf on if you've got a problem with your vision or you've got a problem with your eyes. So what the spirit of truth is to do is to lead us into all truth and an understanding. So it's the conviction of the spirit that helps us understand what truth is. And obviously Laodicea here doesn't understand the true condition, so therefore there is a, an ignorance in regards to that true condition. And I can see how the I-self and the working of the spirit is synonymous. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to unpack those, what we need to buy, because, you know, this is a serious warning. Mm-hmm. This is God's last day church. And so, you know, those who do not listen to the warning are spewed out spewed of his mouth and they're going to be lost. Oh, no, we so, don't want to be so we out. need to know God says to buy of these things. So we're going to unpack that. So first we need to buy the white raiment, which refers to the justifying and sanctifying righteousness of Christ. Yes. Well, look further in Revelation there, Revelation chapter 19, it talks about, you know, the white raiment of the saints. And I wonder if I could just read that. Yes, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8 there, it talks about the white raiment, the garment. It says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, we believe that we're saved by grace through faith alone. It's not of our works, but it's the, it's the work of God. You know, so no one can boast. But ultimately, the imputed and imparted righteousness of Christ obviously is evident and seen in the life of God's people. Self has been hidden in Christ, and the righteousness of Christ shines through them in works of love, in the deeds they do to each other, and in the way they speak to one another. That's right. So it's talking about the justifying and sanctifying righteousness of Mm. Christ. Mm. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. It's also the righteousness of Christ that is imparted to us. Yes, and all these uh, are given to us through faith or through believing God's word. And they're a gift from God. There's mm. nothing we can do. That's it's right. God that gives us these it's gifts. It's a free gift, yes. It's Amen. wonderful. So we need to purchase the right raiment, which is the refers to the justifying and sanctifying righteousness of Christ. And finally, if we surrender completely to God in the spirit, baptism, and righteousness by faith experience, we will be able to receive the gold of God's character of faith and love. Mm. And the final condition of receiving the gold is the last step in coming completely out of the Laodicean condition and becoming God's last day commandment-keeping people and being ready for Christ's second coming. Mm. Yeah, in regards to the gold that you mentioned, the, uh, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 says the following. It says that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we see that faith and love working together is actually represented there by the gold we find in the fire. Absolutely. We also have find in Ellen White's writings, in her early writings, page 270, she comments on this. And she says that um, she asked the angel about what would cause the shaking amongst God's people. Mm. There's going to be a shaking amongst God's people That's going to separate God's people and preparing it And she says, and remember Those shaken from amongst God's people Will not be ready for Christ's return mm. And this is what the angel replied she said, The angel says It would be caused by the straight testimony Called forth by the counsel of the true witness To the later scenes So the counsel of the true witness Who's the true witness? This is Jesus yes. is the true To the later scene church this will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and would lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. But some will not bear the straight testimony. They'll rise up against it. And this is what will cause a shaking amongst God's people. 
And as we look in um, this latter scene warning, we find that Jesus is the true witness in yes, Revelation yes. 3.14. Hence, the shaking is caused by those who do not receive Jesus' last day warning to the latter scenes. Mm. The angel pointed out that those who receive the straight testimony will have a heartfelt experience with Jesus. And this experience will lead them to exalt the standard, which is the Ten Commandments, which are a transcript of God's character. They'll be so impacted by the warning message, it'll motivate them to boldly pour out forth the straight truth Mm, of God's calling to obedience to God's commandments to prepare a people for Christ's second coming. Because in Revelations 14, in the three angels' message, it says, here are they that have the faith of Jesus Mm, mm. and keep the commandments of God. That's right, yes. And then this next verse, it says the second coming. Yeah, yeah. So, So this message will cause us to receive the faith of Jesus. And we only receive the faith of Jesus if Jesus is living in us. Mm. And Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, those 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 five statements from Jesus as the true witness to Laodicea, saying that you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We've covered the poor part because Jesus offers us gold refined in the fire. Um, the uh, blind part the eye self so we can see through the Holy Spirit, the discernment the Holy Spirit gives us. We've covered that. And then, of course, the nakedness, which is the righteousness of Christ, his righteousness covering us. We've covered that as well. But the first two words, wretched and miserable. Now, it's interesting in in, in the Bible, those words, those Greek words used there, only appear twice. Now, the first time the word wretched appears actually is, is in one of the epistles of Paul. And in Romans Chapter 7, and I believe it's verse 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So the, the wretchedness that we see in the Laodicean uh, condition for the people of God's last day church is the experience of the Roman 7 man, that all the good things that he wants to do, he can't do, and all the bad things he doesn't want to do, these are the things that he does. So there's a conflict between the law of his mind and the law that he sees in his body, which is the law of sin and death. And because he hasn't died to self yet, the law of sin still continues to rule over him. And it's a it's a great study. And maybe after the series, uh, we can look at unpacking some of these. Mm. So that's that wretchedness that we see there. Mentioned only twice. And the Roman 7 experience is considered perhaps an experience of the converted. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Yes, it's exactly right in Romans chapter 7 where it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death, of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then Paul gives the answer. You know, many of us can get stuck in Romans 7. Sure. You know, the things I want to do, I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Mm. And we've all experienced that, and we probably experience it daily for many of us. But then Paul gives us the answer in Romans 8. Yes. It's good to always read on. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't get stuck in Romans 7. Mm-hmm. Read on in Romans 8 because then he says these marvelous words in this promise. There is therefore, he's talking about what just yeah. went before, Yes. now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, we need to walk in the Spirit. And the only way we can walk in the Spirit is we're filled with the Spirit. Amen. And so you can look up that Bible verse on the second. Uh, yeah, which is miser- miserable. the miserable part. Yes. yes. But while you're on Romans uh, 7 and 8 there, 
I mean, Romans 7 is encased in Romans 6 and Romans 8. Romans 6 actually talks about the the glory and the power of Christ's resurrection. And it, it, it talks about the fact that, you know, that he who has died has been freed from sin, that when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. Yes. So the death of Christ has got a lot to do with it. So it says there in verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, as it says in verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the fathers, even so we should walk in newness of life. And, of mm. course, the newness of life is elaborated there in Romans chapter 8, where we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So as we look there in Romans chapter 6, we see also, if we're looking at the verses there, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it says in verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. In other words, death can no longer rule over Christ. He's been raised from the dead and lives forevermore. But because we've died with Christ, we've been buried with him, and we've been raised to newness of life. Look what the work of grace does in our life. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Now, the word dominion used for Christ, death will not have dominion over him, and then sin will not have dominion over us. The word dominion just means rulership. Sin will no longer rule over us because of the grace of Christ, as we read there in Romans 6.14. Amen. That's great news, isn't it? It is. And, and, you know, some people have used this chapter to say, okay, well, we're just going to keep sinning. And, you know, but you look in verse 15, it says, you know, all the law's been done away with. Sure. But you look in verse 15 of Romans 6, it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Mm. God forbid. God forbid. Amen. God forbid. The whole point is of being slaves to sin, that we've been freed by Christ. Mm. We're free from sin, and we can live a new life and have God's law written on our mind and hearts. Amen. To obey him yes. so from the he, heart. So Christ is the deliverer not only from the penalty of sin, which is death, but also from the power of sin and the dominion of sin in our lives if we've surrendered ourselves fully to Christ. Now, coming to that second word there, because we're unpacking such a lot of good stuff here, Colin. Um, we said wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The only one left there is the word miserable. We've covered wretched already in Romans 7. Now, the second time only in the Bible where the word miserable is used, we find in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul's addressing an issue in the church where people are saying that there's not a resurrection from the dead. And Paul's saying, well, how can you say that Christ has been raised from the dead? If you're saying there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. So we can read that if we read it with attention there from about verse. Uh, let's go from verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Now, the word pitiable actually is the same word that comes from the Greek word, which means miserable. And if you go to the King James, there in verse 19, I'll just read it. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, the resurrection that we experience in Christ, the death, the burial, and resurrection— Later, see, have not experienced the resurrection part, that new life in Christ. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We now walk in newness in life, walk in the Spirit, and therefore we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's right. Amen. 
And so also when we, we unpack this, Ellen White also tells us that the angel said to her, some will not bear this straight testimony and will rise up against it. Mm. Sad but true, but there will be those who speak words against God's message to Laodicea. And God's calling us to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I self, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to open our eyes up, to receive Christ's justifying and sanctifying righteousness, which is his white raiment, and to perfectly reflect Christ's character, which is his gold. No, people will reject this. Mm. And respond to these three will lead, and you respond to these and we receive these gifts, it would lead to victory over sin and mm. obedience to mm. God's Ten Commandments. Amen. And those who raise up against these truths have been deceived by Satan's, it's called a meager apostasy, and will oh. ultimately be shaken out from God's people. Mm, mm. Look, I know my own life sometimes, you know, when I've been studying the Bible or praying, that all of a sudden, you know, the conviction has come upon me, and I've seen stuff, hidden chapters in my own life that I wasn't aware of previously. And it's like scales have fallen off my eyes. And this is really the work that God wants to do through the Holy Spirit for individuals finding themselves in Laodicea. And as we said before, when we started the program, if you have spiritful individuals, you have a spiritful church. Mm-hmm. And this is what God wants to do to transform and change um, the people who find themselves in this lukewarm Laodicean condition. But I'm always curious, now, what is it that people oppose the message so much? Is it, is it because they don't want to acknowledge that they are that wretched, that miserable, and that they need the righteousness of Christ? Because I can see this message as a message that lays the glory of man in the dust. Mm. It's one where there's no self-exaltation. All that we can do is exalt Christ as our righteousness, our sanctification, our justification. Um, we can't rely on ourselves at all. So we are justified and sanctified by faith. But that faith transforms our lives, and the evidence of Christ's righteousness is then visible in his saints, in, in the believers. Well, nobody wants to be told they've got a problem. Mm, well, that's true. You know, we, we want to believe that we're okay. Mm. I've never personally liked it myself, so I can relate. <laughs> I can relate that too. Yeah. You know, my yeah. wife comes to me often and says, um, you've got a problem, Colin. And I say, really? And I don't want to hear it that I've sure, got a problem. Sure, and of it, course. And so it cuts. Yes, it, cuts. it, it does cut. It can yeah. cut. But as we humble ourselves, mm. and so that's the problem, you see, is, is that when this message goes, people, well, I don't have a problem. I'm okay. And also people believe that victory over sin is impossible. Mm. There's many people who believe that and uh, preach that and teach that. And they're saying, that, well, this is impossible. Yes. But what's impossible with man is possible with mm. God. Yes. So God's got to soften our hearts to be open and receptive to the message. And it's also linked yeah. to God's seal. The latest scene message mm. is linked to God's seal. And, you know, and uh, there's this beautiful quote that says, just as soon as the people of God are sealed on their foreheads, remember in Revelation chapter 7? Yes. God is actually holding back the winds of strife. Of course. He's yeah. waiting for his people to be sealed. Yeah. And we looked at the so seal. So there's a delay there, but some of his people still don't have the seal at that time. That's why he's delaying it, because yes. God in his mercy is holding back the winds. Save saying, as many as possible. Wait to the seal. And remember, we unpacked what the sealing was. Mm. Holy Spirit's doing the sealing. Yes. It's God's character, mm. his law, and his name. That's right. Because Revelations 14 says that God's, God's people have the Father's name on their forehead. Mm-hmm. And then we unpacked that even further, and we found that the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10 wants to write God's law, Ten Commandments, on the mind or the forehead and That's the hearts. The, yeah, the everlasting covenant. That's and right. And remember, his Ten Commandments are a transcript of God's character of love. Mm. Love 
God and love your neighbor as yourself. Sure. And that Old Testament gospel, a lot of people refer to Isaiah as the Old Testament gospel. Isaiah 8 verse 16 says, bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. So That's here right. we have that sealing message as well, which is the, obviously the sealing uh, and, and, yeah. the, and the law of being part of it. And it's not, a, it's not any seal or mark that can be seen. It's a settling into truth both intellectually and spiritually so they cannot be moved. moved. And just as God's people are sealed, as soon as they're sealed and prepared for the shaking, it'll come. Mm. And so we can see from this statement that those who receive the straight testimony from Jesus to the latest sins will become settled into the truth of God's word both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Mm. And this is really important because, you know, for them to experience this, many will rise up against this message of yes, complete yes. victory over sin and will be brothers and sisters in the faith oh, yeah. and even leaders amongst God's people. Mm. And it's always difficult to receive criticism from those within the church than from those outside. Sure. Hence, God's sealed people will have to know for themselves from the Bible what they believe and why they believe it. Mm. Others who have no foundation will give up their faith. So we're going to see history repeating itself. We look at Jesus who, who brought peace and goodwill toward men, Savior of the world. And look how he was treated. Now they rose up against his message. And then we look at also Stephen, the first martyr after the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, three and a half years later, where he's preaching. And they get so angry, they start gritting their teeth. And then, of course, they took him out and stoned him because they didn't want to believe the message that God had sent to them. So is it possible that we will have an experience similar in the church where there will be opposition as well? So under conviction of the Holy Spirit, there's two options. Either you surrender and your heart is softened by it or you can harden your heart. And is it possible that there's some will harden their heart and this is what's going to cause an opposition and a shaking to this message? It's I pray all, that we're not part of that, Colin. I'd like to be on the, uh, on the, on the right side of this ledger. We all, we all do, Eddie. And, and, you know, we all can. Mm. You know, and uh, I, lo- I love this, um, this commentary, and it says this by Ellen White. She says, we thank God that there are souls who realize that they are in need of something which they do not possess. Mm. It's being honest, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I need this. I don't possess this. Yes. And she says something they do not possess, gold of faith and love. Mm. We need God's love and faith. God wants to give us pour out his love on our hearts. Remember the Bible says in Romans and 1 John, God pours out the, his love through the Holy Spirit on our hearts. Yeah, Romans 5.5, 5, yeah, through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. That's yes, right. and also yeah. faith. We need the faith mm. of Jesus. Mm. It's not something, faith is a gift from God. Yes, it says there in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 that Jesus is the author of faith. So that's a faith that we got to have. Do you notice it's another gift? It is another Everything gift. Everything is a gift. Yeah. God's love, his faith, also, the white raiment of Christ's righteousness is a gift from God, his justifying gift and also his sanctifying righteousness. Mm. And the I say of a spiritual sermon, when we fill with the Holy Spirit, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yeah, the Holy Spirit convicts right. us, yeah. opens our eyes up, and so we can see our true need. Mm, mm. And if you possess these precious gifts, the temple of the human soul will not be like desecrated shrine. You know, God's last day people, the desecrated shrine is a soul temple living in sin. And the latter scene mission enables those who receive it not to be desecrated shrine, a soul temple living in sin. Their lives will be one of victory over sin through Christ and his righteousness. It's Mm, the only hope is Christ and his righteousness. Mm. They've rejected Satan's teaching that victory over sin and obeying God's commandments is impossible. They will reject that. Mm. 
It seems impossible, but we believe it by faith that Christ will accomplish this. If it was possible, we wouldn't need faith. So it's it's because God does the impossible for us that we need faith and we can live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You know, the latest scene message is actually describe a sequence of experience. Yeah. But I believe it's in reverse sequence. Mm. That would be interesting. Because step one, we must let Jesus in. Revelations 3.20. Yes. Which happens when we receive the eye salve of the Spirit by experiencing the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. So that's step one, isn't it? That's step one. That's right, yeah. So it's through the Spirit-filled experience that Christ lives mostly fully in the believer. And John 14, 16, 18 tells us that Jesus wants to dwell with us, but in us through the Holy Spirit. And by Jesus living in us, he'll then be able to manifest his justifying and sanctifying righteousness, which is his white raiment. Mm. In Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, that's We have right. Christ in us. We have Christ's righteousness, don't mm, we? Mm. Which will ultimately lead to the believer experience the perfect character of Christ, which is the gold. Uh, amen. I agree. Yes. Beautiful. Of which the Ten Commandments are a transcript of his character. character. Yes. And so what, what will happen where First John 3, 2 says that those who read him in Jesus will basically be like Jesus. They'll see him as he is. It's like... God's coming, Jesus coming with all his glory and all the angels in their glory. And see, because Jesus is living in, in us 100%, it's like glory meets glory. Mm. And that's why God's people aren't consumed when Jesus returns, because it says the wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So that's an overview of the latest uh, warning message of what we need to buy. And uh, we, we can... Uh, we only have to ask. Jesus said, ask. But you have to mm. admit and see that you have a problem and, and look at your true condition. That reminds me of that text in Isaiah which says, come buy without money. So not we have, it's not like we have to get some currency to come and buy it. It's a free gift. But when God offers us something, buy from me. It says there in Isaiah 55, you don't need money to buy, just receive it. Ask and you shall receive, Jesus mm. says, doesn't he? He does. In Luke chapter 11, the, you know, he links the prayer to the Holy Spirit because the disciples looked at Jesus and they just looked at all the things that he was doing. They said, how, how are you doing these things? That's, that's right. Teach us to pray. And then Jesus tells them, he links prayer mm. with asking for the Holy Spirit. And he numbers yeah. them many, many times, ask and you shall receive. And so when you look at the church today, and observe what you know what happened in the early church. You know we can see that we're not spirit filled today. Mm. And I think the statistics verily, you know, the spiritual state of Christian church today. Uh, I'm I'm the prayer coordinator for our conference, and as I speak to churches around in our conference, and I speak to other churches even in other places, mm. very few people are turning up to pray, which is a spiritual barometer of our church. Sure. Yes. You know, I think the majority of members and even pastors take little time for personal prayer and devotions. Most active Christians will try to be present for their church worship service once a week, but that's about it. Prayer meeting, which some said is the barometer of spirituality of the church, is either non-existent or few attend. Mm. And so, you know, I've heard it said once that if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn today, the majority of the work of the church would continue as usual. Wow. And most Christians wouldn't even know he left. As a Christian, I have to admit that it's easy and natural to get so busy in the work of God that one begins doing his own planning and doing, mm. giving little or you know no considerations whether he's planning or doing under the promptings and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Yes. 
And so I'm afraid that much of our activity in the church is a result of man's efforts and plans and not of the Spirit. The Bible gives us a few descriptions of Spirit-filled Christians. You know, Peter's a clear example of before and after experience. You know, before Peter received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he was like weak, fearful, operated in his own strength. Mm. You know, just a few weeks before Pentecost experience, he denied Jesus three times. And the last time with cursing. And then after he receives the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Peter was a different man. Mm. A powerful change took place deep in him. In Acts chapter 4, we read of a Jewish leader threatening Peter and ordering not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. But Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, now instead of cowering under the pressure and being afraid, Peter and John answered, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than to God, judge me not. For we cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. Mm. So there was a difference between Peter and even the disciples. You know, they all split on the, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't yes, they? Yes, of course, yeah. They all split. And so they were fearful. And even John chapter 20, it says that even on the day of the resurrection, the disciples were in the upper room. This was on Sunday night. Mm. It says, in huddled together for fear of the Jews. That's in John chapter 20. Yes. You fast forward a few weeks after they were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. There's Peter and John preaching boldly without boldness, fear yeah, yeah. in front of the whole temple, in front of the leaders. Incredible now. transformation so in what a happened? short period of time. Yeah. What happened? Mm. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happened. Mm. And remember, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, self-control. Yeah. Love. Mm. And you see, and God's love is poured on our hearts. The Bible says that love casts out fear. That's right, yes. That's why Perfect when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you don't have fear about speaking for Jesus anymore because mm. love casts out fear. Isn't it incredible that love would be the means by which God casts out fear in our lives? So if there are people that are fearful or they consider the events around them or they consider the future and they look at prophecy and they're worried about what's lying ahead and they feel fearful about that, the way to, to shun that fear, to get rid of that fear, is to give ourselves to God Invite the Holy Spirit in your lives, and as um, as Jesus, as God says there in Romans chapter five, verse five, that the Holy Spirit, which was given to us, pours out the agape love of God in our hearts, and that's what dispels fear. Yeah, love. That's what we need. First John chapter four, yeah. love so, casts out fear. So saying that, just bringing it together to what we spoke about in Laodicea, if Laodicea doesn't have that that love that faith that works by love, that agape love, then there must be a few in Laodicea that would be fearful as they consider the future possibly. And God wants to set them free, give them the victory because he will pour that love out in their hearts. And that's a beautiful thought, Colin. So, Colin, there's a few things we've covered there in the in the, in the message to the Laodiceans, but uh, have you got some information you can just unpack in regards to the I-self? Because I think that's really important. That will allow our vision so we can see and understand our condition before God. That's a good question, Adrian. When Jesus listed the necessity of the I-self, he stated it was what gave the spiritual sight. Right. And so Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth mm. in John chapter 14, verse 7. Yes. The spirit is described as the spirit of truth because it is the spirit that guides us all into all truth, mm. John 16, verse 13. Yes. It opens our eyes to see the truth. Ellen White referred to the eye salve as the eye salve of spiritual discernment. 
And we read in the Review and Herald, February 14, 1899, paragraph 1, she says, When our eyes are anointed with the holy eye salve, we shall be able to detect the precious gems of truth, even though they may be buried beneath the surface. And again, in the Review and Herald, August 13, 1959, their eyes anointed with heavenly eye salve will see other lessons in the holy word than those seen by readers whose hearts are not cleansed, refined, and elevated. Under the work in the Holy Spirit, the conscience will recognize a pure, high standard of righteousness that puts to shame the low, cheap ideas of surface readers whose mind is corrupted with sin. They see that doers of the word alone are justified by God. So the I self is the Holy Spirit giving us discernment to clearly see our true condition and mm. our need of Jesus right. and his righteousness, justifying, sanctifying, and the gold that we need. Mm. And we we so need that. I think our human nature by default puts us in a uh, opposing juxtaposition to God and His law. You know, it says that the um, the carnal man or the fleshly mind, you know, the, the one who walks in the flesh and not in the spirit, is hostile towards God. It cannot be subject to His law. That's Romans eight verse seven. And uh, Proverbs, uh, the wise man in Proverbs actually brings out. It says that there's a way that appears right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. And he repeats that twice in both Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 and Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. And uh, Paul, because we have uh, quoted Romans a few times, but Paul in Romans chapter 3 says, There's no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands and there's no one who seeks after God. So all the, the responses that we have is merely the God working in and through us through his Holy Spirit to help us to respond, to be drawn to Christ, but to also have that ourselves so we can see. Because if he says there's no one that understands, that's all humanity doesn't understand. So while we're talking about Laodicea, it is a human condition, but that human condition is not to be in the church because the church are to be spiritual people. They are to be converted and have Christ living within them. So here we have a problem where in the church – now it's just like the world in regards to that discernment. This is such an important uh, message today, Colin. I, uh, I just believe that the Holy Spirit has really led us here to just unpack this a little bit. Mm. And I pray that as people out there are listening, as you are listening, we pray that God would um, touch you with his spirit as well to just open your heart to receive this message because it's not our message. It's the message of the true witness to the latest sins. It's the message of Christ that we receive from the scriptures now that we are sharing um, with each other and with those who are listening to us. Yeah, so that's why we need to let Christ in, and we let Christ in through the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, we've got a message to take to the world, the everlasting gospel. Amen. You know, in the Review and Herald, February 18, 1890, Ellen White says, what we need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without this, we are no more fitted to go forth to the world than were the disciples after the crucifixion of their Lord. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Christ in us to hope of glory for power to go to the world with the everlasting gospel. Mm. And also for sanctification of the church. Again, in Testimonies, Volume 6, page 86, Ellen White says, I press upon all the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm. the sanctification of the church, so they'll be living, growing, fruit-bearing trees the Lord's planting. So first step, we've got to let Jesus in. Mm. And he comes in through the Holy Spirit. The eye self opens our eyes to our true condition. And so we can see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is important for every believer to seek it. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is essential for God's work to be finished in the lives of his people on the earth. This is why those in Laodicea must receive the eye salve in order to come out of their spiritual blind condition. Mm. 
And it's also clear from these statements that, you know, conversion by the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit are two separate experiences in the Spirit. If one automatically received the baptism of the Spirit of conversion or water baptism, there'll be no reason to state that we keep continue to need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. Why okay. would we need a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Mm. Because baptism happens once. Yeah. That's right. So we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm. the eye self, to see clearly. That makes, that makes sense. That's, that's even logical. It's biblical and is logical. And then we also need the white raiment of Christ justifying righteousness. Yes. In order for the church to come out of Laodicea and fulfill her purpose, it is necessary for her to understand and experience righteous by faith, which is the white raiment that Jesus promised us, which is his justifying and sanctifying righteousness. Mm. And so I want to look at justifying. So to be justified means to be declared free from all guilt and penalty of lawbreaking. Yes. For instance, if you're accused of breaking some law, you'll be taken to court, won't you? Mm, mm. You'll be tried and you're judged. Yes. And if you're found guilty, you'll receive a just penalty for your law breaking. That's right. If during the trial, though, you are found innocent of the charges, you'll then be declared justified. You'll be free from the guilt and penalty of the law breaking you're accused of committing. Mm. I absolutely love that concept of justification by faith, that we can stand before God as if we've never sinned because of Jesus. What an incredible gift, you know, that all our guilt and everything can be removed because of what Jesus did. Yet the demands of the law are satisfied in Christ. So God can be yet just and the justifier of those who come to God through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thought, man. That just softens and melts your heart, doesn't it? It just makes you love God so much more because of what Jesus means to us. And Mm. and because of our condition, because of our sinning, right, it says the Bible says that we're where well, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Yes. We have all sinned mm. and fall short of the glory of God. Mm. And because of this condition, we're all condemned to death as unrighteous lawbreakers, Romans chapter 6.23. And this terrible condition came upon mankind through the fourth was Adam in Romans 5.12. Yes, yes. And his sin brought this sinful condition upon mankind. Mm. We have mm. a sinful nature. And along with this sinful condition came the just penalty of death. Yes. Therefore, every human being stands before God as a condemned sinner deserving of death. Hmm. That is our hopeless, helpless condition. And unless God does something for us, we are eternally lost, separated from God. Yes, yeah. And this is the reason Jesus came to be one of us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten mm, now Son. Now you're preaching it, Colin. Love that it. whoever mm. believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mm. For God sent his Son not in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he who believes on him does not believe in him is condemned already. You know, and when you read this, you realize that I'm, I'm a sinner. Mm. And so, you know, we're justified by Christ's righteous act, his righteous yeah. life. Man, we can be so grateful. You know, some of us have uh, inherited some terrible liabilities, you know, from our ancestor. You know, you've got your inherited, inherited uh, tendencies and you also have your cultivated tendencies. Cultivated tendencies, of course, is what we're responsible for. But just to think that Jesus covers all of that. Now, all our sins of the past, they can all be forgiven or forsaken and even covers us into the future. But the fact remains is when we come to Christ, he's a- able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And, I mean, I'm just experiencing that joy at the moment, just thinking about what Jesus has done for us, what he means to us, mm. and that he's still interceding on our behalf, perfecting our speech, perfecting our prayers in front of a, a, a perfect God. You know, because the Bible teaches us there is no righteousness on this earth except the righteousness of Christ. Mm. And Philip 
Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 tells us, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Mm, so this amen. applies both to imputed and imparted oh, righteousness yes, yes, or yes. justifying and sanctifying righteousness in the Christian life. The Bible teaches that we receive Christ's imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness by our faith in him. We experience both justification and sanctification by faith in Christ. That's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Mm, mm. And that's why Jesus chose to become a man. He became a man and lived a victorious human life and he, a victorious life over sin as a human. And he allowed himself to be put to death. And only Christ, the God-man, could save man. And when Jesus walked this earth as a man, he lived the perfect, sinless, righteous life. 1 Peter 2.2 2. Mm. He was tempted in all points, just as we are, and gained the victory over every temptation. In Hebrews Amen. 4, yeah. verse 15. Mm. And uh, this is how we, be, a man and woman, become righteous. It's through a transaction. You know, therefore Adam and all his descendants stand guilty before God and condemned to death, Romans 5.12. And on the other hand, Christ came and lived the perfect righteous life. And because mm. of this one who chose to believe in Christ, his righteousness is given to him freely. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17 yes, and 19. Yeah. And this transaction happens by faith. Mm. That is why the Christian becomes righteous in God's sight, by faith in Christ. Mm. He has Christ's righteousness put on him, imputed to him, or is covered by Christ's righteousness by faith, by believing it is so. Yes, amen. The Christian can do nothing to earn this righteousness. This is how a man or woman become righteous. Free gift, yeah. We just respond to the Holy Spirit conviction that Jesus is their saviour and they are a sinner. Mm. And they accept Christ as their saviour, confess their sins, and ask God to forgive them. Man, and the peace that floods your heart once you've made the surrender to Jesus is incredible. Praise God. And by faith, we stand justified before God, free and guilty from the penalty of sin. Mm. It's a marvelous exchange. Amen. Yeah, beautiful. That's beautiful, Colin. Now, we've been talking, obviously, about you know obedience, and we've been talking about saved by grace through faith alone. Not of ourselves as a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. But some people might struggle to how they reconcile, how we save by faith, and yet there's works that are produced as an evidence for it. And I just want to share this text in Philippians. We'll obviously unpack it in future programs. Mm. We'll unpack that a little bit more. But just in case there's some people who are wondering, how do you reconcile being obedient and yet you've got to die to self? And how do you then receive it by faith only? And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13, I'm reading from halfway through in, in verse 12. Uh, we are admonished admonish there to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's something we've got to do for ourselves. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then these beautiful words, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will. So first of all, to have the desire. And then second, and to do according to his good pleasure. So God works in us, and this is all done through faith. We believe that God has promised he can keep us from falling, that he will work in us, he will purify us, make us spotless, not having any wrinkle or any such thing, and to present to his church a special treasure to God, you know, perfect, perfect in Christ. Yes, yeah, so our next lesson, I want to unpack the white raiment Christ sanctifying righteousness. Mm. Because the great controversy has always been over Christ and God's law. Right. You know, we read this in the book of Revelation, when the controversy first began in heaven in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, Satan hates Christ and has always tried to replace him. Isaiah 14, 12 and 14. 
He hates God's law and seeks to replace it. And this same controversy takes place in the lives of men and women today. Satan desires to reign on the throne of the heart. He wants mankind to follow his way, not Christ's way or God's law. Hmm. And in the era of Christian living, he wants to replace Christ's righteousness with man's efforts to become righteous, which is legalism. He wants them to look at their own Hmm. efforts for righteousness rather than Christ and his righteousness. Hmm. He wants them to look to himself, to themselves for obedience rather than to Christ manifesting his obedience in and through them. Yes. Well, on the other hand, Satan leads individuals to believe full and complete obedience to God's law is impossible. Yeah. Either error is a result of being deceived by Satan's meager apostasy. However, it's only as God's people experience Christ's righteous obedience in their lives that they are able to come out of their latest sin condition. And this is how they receive the white raiment God says they must have in Revelation 3, 18. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that. Righteous by faith, he's imparted and sanctifying righteous in our next lesson. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to that lesson. Colin, thank you very much for sharing uh, the lesson with us today. That was beautiful. That was encouraging. Just showing us how much Jesus means to us. And by faith, we can accept these. That we don't have to do anything in regard to trying to make ourselves better. Where we can come to the Lord just as he, he is. And then as we learn and grow in grace through the Holy Spirit and spending time in the Word, God will transform and change our lives. And we can be full, spiritful Christians and therefore be a spiritual church. Amen. Now, we have a special offer for you today, and it is the book called Steps to Personal Revival, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit by Helmut Horbel. Now, we'd like to make this available to you for $1 plus postage, and Steps to Personal Revival has about six chapters in it, covers about 110 pages or so. And on the book cover, on the back of the book cover, there's a little quote from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 8, from page 22, and it says, Why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit, since this is the means by which we are to receive power? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, preach concerning it? Now, I know that you'll be richly blessed by this little book, and we're happy to send it for you for $1 plus postage. To order this book or for more information, please contact us on 3ABN Australia Radio. In Australia, you can phone us on 02-4973-3456. Or you can email us by sending the email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au or you can contact us on your Facebook page. Dear listener, thank you for joining us today on You Shall Receive Power. Until next time.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.